Hey friends, it's Larry Boatwright. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we have a re-entry team that's been working to uh, to develop a plan to start having gatherings on our campus again. We've been working hard for a few weeks now and just want to let you know that we are at a final sort of draft of four-phase re-entry plan that's going to the elders over the weekend and staff uh, early next week. And once we finalize that, we're going to bring it to you. And it's it's easy to read and our hope is to not only tell you what we're going to be doing and when we're going to be doing it, but also why we've chosen some of those steps. We think it's going to be a great step for our community. Don't forget, we still have house churches and meetups and other ways to get connected in this season. But uh, just know that we're thinking of you, we're praying for you, we miss you, and we're excited to start taking some steps toward gathering together again soon. Good morning, Sal. My name is Sarah Devine. And our call to worship today comes from John 15, 12 through 15. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Now let's sing. Good morning, South Fellowship Church. We gather here to worship wherever you are. So tune your heart to Him. Find the 
We're going to sing with steadfast love. In all circumstances, let the truth of this song soak in.
Father, we're grateful for your unfailing love. Lord, we're grateful for the infinite amounts of grace that you extend to us every day. Grace upon grace. You would show us glory upon glory. Lord, I, Lord, I ask that you would help our hearts to, to, to focus on you right now to see you in all of your goodness and all of your glory and all of your faithfulness.
Hey friends, have you ever just looked around and listened for the birds? I actually chose this spot because if you really listen, you'll notice how joyfully they sing. Can you believe that the same father that cares for them cares for you and me? I mean, how amazing is it that God cares for the birds and he cares for us? Today, I really just want to encourage you to let the birds lead you, to give thanks and praise to God. With the birds and the angels of the heavens, you are joining God's love song. He sings his love over you first. So as you listen to the birds, I want you to meditate or think upon the verses that I'm going to read from the book of Psalm. Starting with Psalm 104, 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. Psalm 104, 12. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. Psalm 104, 28. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Psalm 104, 30. When you send your spirits, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. I know that during this season we've had some loss and some disappointments, but have you been appreciating God's goodness and care through it all? Right now is a great time to smile and to sing and give thanks to God, because just as God cares for the birds, He cares for you and I so much more. Let's praise Him and thank Him for all that He has given us. everyone and again it's good to see you even though I can't see you but you can see me um, who knows when this is all gonna be over but I'm so glad that you're watching this uh, th this is the final message in this series we've been having not like me and today's uh, topic is gonna be religion love greater than religion how do I get these topics 
Anyway, let me just uh, share an experience that uh, Carrie and I had a number of years ago. We were able to take a, a short-term trip over to India. It was a great trip, a terrific trip. But I remember specifically this one time we went to a Hindu temple. Uh, Viju, who is one of our missionaries, uh, one of our ministry partners, uh, took us to this temple and uh, we went out into this courtyard. And I've got to admit, there were hundreds, maybe even thousands, a couple thousand people just packed into this, uh, into this courtyard. And I could look up on the platform and I saw three priests in their robes sitting cross-legged and all these people were taking offerings to the priests. They were taking offerings of fruit. Sometimes it was an animal, but they would take these uh, offerings to the priests. In the middle of this uh, commotion, it was a cacophony of sound and smells, but in the middle of this, uh, Vijou kind of took us over to the side and was just explaining some things to us. And, and I gotta admit, we were probably at least oh, I'd say 100 yards, nah, maybe a little less than 100 yards away from the platform where these priests were sitting. And he was just explaining to us what was going on. Um, and for some reason, I looked over at the platform, at the stage, and I saw those three priests accepting the offerings, but the one priest on the right side was just bead-eyed right on Vijou. Uh, and Vijou had his back to him. And like I say, there was a commotion of people uh, all kinds of noises, but he was just eyed in upon Viju, and he did not take away his gaze that whole time that Viju was talking to us. And it struck me, it struck me, wow, there's something big going on here, something like spiritual warfare going on here, some kind of uh, awareness that was much more than just human that was happening. Um, it reminded me of Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare was happening right there. Hinduism and this little puddle of Christianity happening over here. Uh, there was a dynamic that was happening. And it was easy for me to think, wow, we're in enemy territory, and yet... Did you hear what it said? We don't have flesh and blood enemies. All those people in that square were not enemies. No. And those three priests were not enemies. That one priest that was eyed in on vision was not an enemy. No, it was the enemies in the spiritual realms that we need to be serious about. Um, when I think of religion, yeah, I, I just take the definition of, not the definition, the etymology of the word religion. Religio, uh, it's, it's from Latin. Uh, re, re means uh, again, and legere means uh, to bind. So when you take the etymology of the word religion, it means to bind again. When I first discovered that, I thought, what in the world am I doing in the world of religion as a pastor? I don't wanna bind people again. Eh. Let's dig a little bit more into what that means. Let's, uh, I, I wanted to find a story that would show this, um, this two different religions kind of battling in, in the Bible. And I've got to tell you, I, I didn't necessarily want to take this passage that popped into my head first, but it kept popping into my head and popping into my head, and I thought, okay, we'll do it. 1 Corinthians 18. It, or, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 18. If, if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd ask you to take and open up to 1 Kings 18 in the Old Testament. Um, it's an amazing story. It's one of those great 
Sunday school stories, although they don't tell the whole story. There's an elephant in the room with this story. But uh, it's where Elijah confronts the 450 prophets of Baal. Um, let me just set the setting. Uh, Ahab is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, back in a couple chapters earlier, when Ahab began his reign, uh, it says, he reigned in Samaria for 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight even more than any of the kings before him. And as, as though it weren't, were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Athbel of the Sidonians. Just think of you were her and had that kind of reputation. Anyway, he married Jezebel. Um, first, Ahab built, uh, he began to bow down and worship to Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar of Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. Not only did he worship at those temples, but he worshiped the god Baal. Uh, Baal was a pagan god of the Canaanites. Baal was the god of, of thunder and lightning and storms and rain. And as the rains came, the harvest would come. So he was also the god of harvest. So they would worship him uh, to get better harvest. So they would want to have rain. Um, they worshiped him with sacrifices and sex. Uh, since this is a PG sermon, I'm not going to talk about the sex, but the sacrifices, um, basically, people would come with offerings of grain and things like that, but they'd also come with animals um, and, and sacrifice animals, blood offerings to Baal. And when things got really desperate, when rain was not seen for a long time, they would sacrifice their firstborn. And that made it appalling to God. That was unacceptable to God. And Ahab fostered that in the northern kingdom and called people to worship Baal. Well, on the scene comes Elijah, prophet Elijah, and he comes to Ahab in, in chapter 17, and he says, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. And he disappeared. He disappeared for three years. Now, no dew or rain. Remember what I said about Baal? He was the God of rain, of storm. Uh, it's kind of a slap in Baal's face. The God of gods said he was going to withhold rain, and there was nothing Ahab could do about it. Uh, Elisha, over those uh, years, became public enemy number one. Three years later, Elisha reappears, and God says to Elisha, listen to this in, in chapter 18, which is the chapter we're going to be looking at. Later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah goes to find Ahab. Uh, another person helps them get together. Ahab sees Elijah and says, you scoundrel, you public enemy number one. And Elijah says, no, it's not me, it's you. And then Elijah says to him, okay, here's what we're gonna do. I want you to assemble all the people of the northern tribes here of Israel, and I want you to come to Mount Carmel. And I want you to bring the 450 prophets of Baal. And we're just going to have a little get together. Um, I look at that, you know, and, and I see where God had instructed Ahab, uh, Elijah to say, tell him that I will soon send rain. And I, I didn't hear anything about rain there, but, you know, we'll deal with that. Um, anyway, Ahab brings all the people of Israel together. They go to Mount Carmel. All the 450 prophets of Baal are there. And Elijah says these words. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, we'll follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people were completely silent. I just want to draw a couple principles out of there. Um, one, there's a choice. And you know what? You cannot make the choice for another person. Um, he, says, he says here, if uh, God, the Lord God, is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And he's saying, you've got to make a choice. And I can't make it for you. Sometimes I think we enter into sharing our faith with other religions and we want to make a choice for people. Hey, we can't. And you know what? We don't have any business doing that. Every individual has to make their own choice. Um, I think of Joshua, back in Joshua chapter 24, where he's, he's saying to the people after they've gone in, they've conquered the promised land, they've taken their residence, and he says, serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or would you, be the, would you serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. The choice has to be made by an individual, not by someone else. But get this also. He says to him, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? And in, and in saying that, I think what he's saying to those people is, you can't dance back and forth. Um, you've got to choose. You have to choose one or the other, but not both. That word, hobbling, can also be translated limp, limping, can also be translated dancing. And you kind of get that picture, dancing between these two, wanting to have it all. And I just tell you, you can't have both. You can only have one. Jesus, in Luke chapter 16, talked about um, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. And he refers to that with the whole thing of money, saying you can't, you can't love God and love money at the same time. Uh, well, Elijah's basically saying the same thing. You can't love God Yahweh and God Baal at the same time. You've got to choose. So you have to make the choice, and you're the one that has to make it. Can't have somebody else make it for you. And two, but you've got to make a choice. You can't have both and. I know that's not popular today. We want everything. But we'll leave it like that. Elijah throws out this challenge. Okay, we're going to build two altars. And on these altars, we're going to put two sacrifices. And we're going to see which God brings down fire to consume those sacrifices. And you may know the story. Uh, the prophets of Baal dance all morning long and, and cry out all morning long. When it gets around noon, Elijah starts making fun of them. Oh, maybe your God's off on an appointment, or maybe your God had to relieve himself. Who knows where he is? And uh, they kept going on all afternoon, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Now, you might have thought, since nothing happened for the three years before that, maybe nothing was going to happen now. Then Elijah stood up there as it was getting toward the evening sacrifice, and he went to the altar and he said, hey, I want you to get some water, and I want you to take that water and I want you to pour it over this sacrifice. And they poured three times. They poured gallons of water. It drenched the altar. It filled the trench around the altar till it was just soaking wet. And then, then, what a terrific prayer he prayed. He went up and he said, Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. 
And God answered by sending fire. And it could have been a lightning bolt. It could have just been fire straight down from heaven. But it was an explosive amount that just ate up the sacrifice, ate up the stones of the altar, dried up all the water. There was just dust left after that. just want to point out a, another little simple principle that, that came in that prayer that he was making. Now, granted, there's a choice that you have to make, and you're the only one who can make that. And I can't make the choice for you. And two, you can't keep dancing back and forth trying to have it all. You've got to choose one or the other or the other or the other. You've got to have one that you submit yourself to. But the God of Elijah, get this, the God of, the, of Elijah is the one that brought his people back to himself. And when that fire came down and consumed, all the people said, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God. And God brought his people back to him. Now here's where we come up to kind of the end of the story, and this is where I kind of feel the elephant in the room is. Verse 40, it says, Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Cushion Valley and killed them there. 450 people, probably men and women, priests of Baal, he killed in the Valley of Kishon. I don't know about you, but I got a hard time with that. I, I have a hard time with too much violence in a movie. Um, I can't even picture, I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to have 450 bodies bleeding in a valley floor. And that doesn't sound like the God I worship. So I just share with you, I, I, I feel, yeah, disgusted by that. Uh, it, granted, I know in Scripture, and you can go back to the book of Joshua, you can go to all kinds of places where there had to be a cleansing of the land so God's people could come in there and, and not be perverted in their ways. And Elijah may be doing that. Uh, there, there's a term called atonement, atonement, which is, uh, it's different than trying to make an appeasing uh, a God or pleasing a God. Atonement is trying to correct a wrong or, or remove an obstacle or, or cover over something that is uh, keeping you from being able to come in contact with God. And in very real sense, Elijah may be saying, these prophets need to be removed. They need to, need to be destroyed so that once again, we can have contact with God. Atonement. It's a pretty rough idea. Um, I still have a hard time with it. And I'll be honest with you, I'm glad I wasn't there. And I would not have wanted to be there. I wish I had a great answer for you about this massacre of these priests. I don't. Because remember, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against spiritual principalities and powers of the air. I encourage you, there are conundrums in Scripture that you aren't going to be comfortable with. Don't walk around them. Don't ignore them. And don't try to take an easy way out by just trying to explain them away. It's there. I believe there were 400 dead, 450 dead bodies, and I have a hard time with that. But I encourage you, enter into it. Um, you know, as I say, I'm disgusted by that. I do realize my disgust is kind of self-righteous uh, because I have to admit, there have been times when I've been in dialogue with somebody about my faith 
and I think my words have been as sharp as knives. I think there have been times I've been more interested about winning an argument than I have about ministering to a person. I think there have been more times I've seen them as the enemy, and I need to defeat them um, instead of embracing them as the image of God. Yeah. I believe God wants me to uh, check my own heart. I'm disgusted by 450 dead bodies. Am I as disgusted when I cut a person to the core with my words? Yeah. We'll dig some more in. I, I, I just ask you, don't ignore the conundrums of Scripture or the things you have a hard time with. Um, but I want us to keep going. Don't give up on this yet. We're, we're going to keep going. I just got a, a little bit more of Elijah's story. Um, Elijah goes to Ahab. You know, the people are rejoicing. The, the prophets are dead. And Elijah goes to him and said, get ready, eat some meal, because you're going to have to get back to your home before the storm comes. There's going to be a rainstorm. And so Ahab goes and, Ahab goes and has a meal. Uh, Elijah and his servant go up to the top of Mount Carmel, Seven times they look toward the seas. Elijah's praying and praying. Each time there's no clouds in the sky. And finally on the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, well, there's a tiny little cloud off in the distance, kind of like the size of your fist. And Elijah says, go down and tell the king to get, to get in his chariot and get home because there's going to be a massive storm coming. I got to admit, I love that faith. That's, a, that's an I don't know if I'd have that kind of faith. Um, God empowers Elijah and... Ahab's in his chariot racing for home and Elijah's running and he beats him. Uh, he gets to Jezreel first. He probably expects to have a, a hero's welcome when he gets there. Instead, uh, some of the things he hears are not so good. Um, Jezebel got word that her prophets, that uh, she was responsible for, those 450 prophets have all been slaughtered. And she says, boy, so be it to me if tomorrow I don't have Elijah dead. Elijah hears those words. And Here's this amazing prophet who just had this amazing experience on Mount Carmel and he gets frightened to the core and he runs for his life. And he runs and he runs and he runs and God intervenes and sustains him on his run, but he runs for 40 days and he ends up down in Arabia. He goes to Arabia and down in Arabia is Mount Sinai and he goes on to Mount Sinai and that's where he has this amazing encounter with God. He goes into a cave and God comes to that cave and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replies, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your idols. They've killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. I've zealously been your servant. Well, God says to him, okay, I want you to, I want you to listen. And that's when he has this amazing encounter where first he's standing there and there's a windstorm that rips rocks from the walls. And then there's, a, there's an earthquake that just trembles the whole mountain. And then there's a firestorm. Boy, three climactic events that take place. And uh, God wasn't in any of those until this still small whisper came. And in that whisper, God told Elijah, I want you to go back to Damascus because I've got more for you to do. And by the way, Elijah... I've got 7,000 other people that I've preserved. You're not the only one. <laughs> you know, when I look at that story, when I look at the faith of Elijah, when I look at his zealousness, when I look at him killing those prophets, I wonder what he would have been like on the other side of the cross. I wonder what he would have been like if he had had the opportunity to live after Jesus like, like I do, like you do. 
I wonder what Elijah would have been like. And it kind of makes me have a little question. Are there any characters, any individuals in the New Testament who may have been kind of like Elijah? You know that word zealous? I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. There is a character who zealously served God. Uh, Let me read just some descriptions that he gives. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted the the God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. And uh, over in another book, he uses uh, these words to describe himself. I was a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. There's that word zealous. And guess what? It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament, except uh, in Greek. Zealous there, zeal in this word. And this is the book of Galatians. And yeah, that's the Apostle Paul writing those words. But actually, he was known as Saul at that time. Saul of Tarsus. Um, Let me read. You know, you probably know about the conversion experience of Saul, but I just want to read it to you from Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women. He wanted to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, well, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now, get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. I'm going to go back to uh, the book of Galatians, that letter that he was writing to the Christians in Galatia, because he gives us a little bit more of what happened to him after that time. He, he went into the city, he was blinded, he went into Damascus, um, and he waited. And guess what? When this happened, I did not rush out. Uh, when, I, when I learned about the good news that someone told me, I didn't rush out uh, to see what someone would consult with me about, about this new news, nor did I go to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went down into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Now here's Saul, who was zealous, like Elijah. Here's Saul, who went down to Arabia, like Elijah. Here's Saul, who had some instruction there in Arabia, and then he was sent back to Damascus, like Elijah. And some theologians have speculated that uh, Saul, or later Paul, was part of a sect of Pharisees that um, had as a hero Elijah. And they took the zealousness of Elijah, and they took it upon themselves, and they in doing so, could um, rationalize all kinds of violence and uh, harsh behavior toward people that did not believe as they did. Um, I believe very much when Saul, later Paul, went down there to Arabia, I believe that God taught him so much. 
opened his eyes. Ananias, who was the man who ministered to him in Damascus and then sent him down to Arabia, helped relieve his blindness. But I wouldn't be surprised as he, as he walked that road, he might have traveled some of the same roads that Elijah did on the way down to Arabia. But he heard quite a message from God Almighty. Um, in this book of Galatians, listen to how he starts the book. May God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. Do you hear that? May God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. And that's kind of the summation of this book of Galatians. That's the good news. And I believe very much, as Paul was down there in Arabia, I believe God was teaching him about the mystery of his good news, and that mystery was about his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and gave his life for our sins. Remember how we talked about that word atonement, that, that kind of theological idea of atonement, of, of being able to cover over obstacles or being able to cleanse the land of something or being able to remove anything that would hinder you from coming to God. Um, this is what atonement is. Jesus became the ultimate atoning sacrifice and he covered all of our sins so that we could have access to God. And, and guess what? Um, the next phrase says, this was just as God our Father planned. It was just as God planned. And it takes me back to thinking about how in Elijah's time when he prayed, he said, I pray that you would show that God, it's your heart to bring people back to you, to bring the people to you. And here's God's plan to bring the people, all of us, back to him through Jesus Christ who became that atoning sacrifice, who took every sin upon himself, who embraced all the evil that was in the world, who carried it to the cross, who covered it over with his blood once and for all, the atoning sacrifice so that now we can live in the amazing freedom of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, and it says, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, That almost sounds like he wants to remove us from this world. You know that word from, I don't know if I like that in this translation. Um, it can also be translated in. So you can read it as saying, in order to rescue us in this evil world in which we live. Because God doesn't want us just to run away from this world. No, he wants us to stay here in this world. Um, I think that was a topsy-turvy thing for, for Paul, the Apostle Paul, to learn. Uh, back then as Saul of Tarsus. I think that was a paradox for him. I think it was just a whole paradigm shift for him because it was his zeal that was going to make a difference. It was his work of cleansing the land that was going to make a difference. It was his work of eradicating all those other people that differed from him in, his, in their religious beliefs. But instead, God said, no, no. I'm going to be the one who's going to make the difference. I'm not going to get rid of those people. I'm going to be the sacrifice myself and I'm going to send my son as that sacrifice. One of our yeah, present-day theologians, N.T. Wright, kind of picks this up. I love what he says here. Uh, for Paul, it was the death of Jesus at the hands of the pagans, not the defeat of the pagans at the hands of a zealous hero that defeated evil once and for all. No, the cross offered the solution to the problem that zeal had sought 
to address. The revelation of the crucified and now risen Messiah, Jesus Christ, was therefore sufficient to stop the zealous Saul in his tracks, to send him back like his role model, Elijah, to Sinai, and to convince him that the battle he was blindly fighting had already been won. And also that by fighting as he was, he had actually been losing it. Jesus had already won the battle. Folks, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has become that sacrifice that covers all the obstacles that would keep us from God, we can now be brought back to him. Remember that definition of religion? You know, I'm not going to tell you that Christianity is not a religion. It is. It is a religion. Religio means to be brought back into bondage or to be bound again, to bind again. And I kind of say, well, I have a hard time thinking Christianity does that. But you know what? It binds us again to grace, to God's love. And I'll tell you something. I love being bound to that rather than to my own efforts trying to make a difference before God and trying to please Him. Instead, I love being known that I'm loved by Him. Uh, you know what? Paul goes on to, to say these terrific verses, and, and these are verses that we have brought out time and time again, except now it's in Galatians. We used to bring it from Matthew 22 in this series, Not Like Me. But listen to this. Um, Paul says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use that freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. No. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, and in Matthew 22, when Jesus is giving the greatest command, yeah, he includes love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Here, Paul just includes that last one. But I think that's because Paul just assumes you're going to be loving the Lord your God with all your soul and strength. But then he says, you can love your neighbor as yourself because you can love out of the abundance of love that God has shed upon you, has covered you with his love that says, I accept you once and for all. There's nothing you got to do. Stop doing it. Stop being so zealous about winning your own salvation. It's already won. Take a breath. Sit down. Relax. Learn to accept my love. And then you can love other people around you. Uh, it's a great, it's, the gospel's terrific. And you know what? It fits every one of the subjects that we've been talking about in this Not Like Me. Yes, it's a love that's greater than any religious difference because remember, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people we see around us. They, they bear the image of God. Our battle is against the spiritual forces that seek to kill and destroy. But those people around us who may differ, who may get under our skin, who may say all kinds of things against us, God loves them. And he wants our love to be brought to them so that they can discover the love of God himself. You know, I think of another a zealous follower of Jesus. And he made a lot of mistakes, but he was zealous. Uh, Peter, Peter, he was a great apostle. He was, he was the missionary to the Jews. Paul, great apostle, was the missionary to the Gentiles. And they both worked together to get this good news that Jesus Christ had been that atoning sacrifice. There's nothing more you have to do. And Peter wrote these amazing words in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now who's going to want to do harm if you're eager to do good. 
But even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way. Always be ready with an answer, but do it in a gentle and respectful way. I just want to kind of bring this to a close with just some simple points that come from this. Because Jesus is the good news and we can stop trying to please God all the time because he's pleased with us and we can learn to live in that pleasure. He says, hey, be eager to do good. Do good. I know that's vastly general, but do good. I I think during this time of COVID, we've had numerous examples of people who have just been so creative and done done good. I I was listening, uh, talking on the phone to one of you whose wife had some very serious cancer surgery while we were all um, during this time, um, and and we were all in our own homes. And after COVID, she was taken right in for surgery. But uh, as she was getting ready to go into surgery, yeah, we couldn't go around. But a group of her folks from her friends from sisterhood here at South got together and drove down and they had a little parade in which they drove their cars in front of their, her house and they beeped their horns and they had signs and they waved them. And then three of their party got out, wore masks, went out and met the couple out there on the back porch and they prayed and they prayed that God would heal her. And I'll tell you, I was listening, talking to this husband and he was moved to tears hey, that's doing good. I I believe God can take the creativity that he's put inside of each and every one of us and he can help us to do good for our neighbors. Um, Yeah, even though you think you you, you can't, but being good to our neighbors, trying to see ways that we can serve them. And you know what it says right here? Hey, some people may, uh, may criticize you for that. That's okay. Don't get worried about that. Worship Jesus Christ. Worship him. You know, and Frankly, during this COVID time, it's been tough not seeing each other together. Uh, Zoom rooms only go to a certain point. What can I say? But I'm thankful for Zoom during this time. Otherwise, we wouldn't see each other at all. But I found some mornings just going out to walk and look up at that big, beautiful sky and realize this is just one little pinprick of the whole universe that God has created, that he holds in the palm of his hand, that he knows every star by name. What an awesome God. Worship God. Worship Jesus Christ, knowing what he's done to to allow us to be able to come back into the presence of God. Come back in, being bound to his love. When I say come back in again, I can't just drop that. I've got to realize way back at the very beginning when God created this amazing universe that's so beautiful. He created it for us to, to live in so that we could walk with him and know his unboundless love. And then we chose a different way. And then evil and destruction entered. And yet Jesus, God himself, entered into our world to change that. Do good. And when it comes against you, then worship Jesus Christ. And then it says, if someone comes in the doing of your good... If someone comes and asks you about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Doesn't mean you've got to have all theological points down pat. Doesn't mean you have to go to seminary to answer questions that people have. It means be ready to share about the hope that you've got. And I got to tell you, it's phenomenal when I think 
I don't have to put in all this effort to try to please God anymore. It's my effort. I, I shouldn't say effort. It's my delight to be able to trust him in what he says. To trust that he loves me and I'm going to live out of that love. And as I live out of that love, I can do more and more things for others. Things that have been prepared in advance for me to do. And when people come, I, I hope I'll be ready to share about that hope. And, and finally, I want to do it in a gentle and respectful way. Yeah, I don't want my, my words to cut, to slice. I don't want that. There's a story. I just want to, want to close with this little story. Um, and it happened on Saturday Night Live about uh, a yeah, year and a half ago year and a half ago. It was right during the election season. There was a, a congressman running for uh, the seat in Texas. His name was Dan Crenshaw. He had been a Navy SEAL. He had been injured in Afghanistan. He, he lost an eye and he always wore this black eye patch that was kind of like his characteristic. Uh, but very conservative. Um, on Saturday Night Live, there was, a, there was a comedian by the name of Pete Davidson. And one night uh, during the election season around September, he started making fun of Ben Crenshaw. And, and uh, yeah, he ridiculed him for this black patch on his eye. He ridiculed him for being in whatever war, he said. Well, there was a backlash against Davidson, against the comedian. Boy, social media exploded and attacked him for attacking a Navy SEAL and really a, a, a war hero. He got attacked so much that he spiraled down into a depression. And uh, he even wrote... He even wrote these words, uh, I really don't want to be on this earth anymore. I'm doing my best to stay here for you, but I, I actually, I don't know how much longer I can last. And during that time, during that time, um, Crenshaw called up Davidson. And this congressman who had been belittled on Saturday Night Live in front of a nationwide audience reached out. And I just read these words that came from, I, I read this in a book called A Gentle Answer, but these words came, instead, the veteran privately reached out to befriend, encourage, and speak life-giving words to Davidson. He told the comedian that everyone had a purpose in this world and that God put you here for a reason. It's your job to find that purpose, and you should live that way. Little by little, it kind of brought these two men together. Forgiveness was received and given um, and it even went on Veterans Day to where Crenshaw was invited to come on Saturday Night Live, and uh, Davidson gave him a public apology. Um, they kind of bantered back and forth, and then Crenshaw said to him, you know, I want to encourage each one who's here to honor veterans. Uh, if you see a veteran, go up and thank them. But also, if you see some of our public servants, go up and thank them too. And you know what? I especially think of Pete Davidson's dad, who I can't thank tonight. Pete Davidson's father was a fireman in New York City. He died at 9-11 in the World Trade Centers. That was when Pete Davidson was seven years old. He lost his dad. And that night, Crenshaw honored this man's father, this man who had belittled and ridiculed him. They embraced. And as the scene came to an end, they thought the cameras were off, they thought the sound was off. But it caught Pete Davidson turning to Ben Crenshaw and saying, you're a good man. You're a good man. 
I hope each and every one of us, as we come to the end of this series, not like me, we can realize because of the good news of Jesus Christ, we don't have to win. Oh, the battle's already won. Our enemy is not the people around us. They are the image of God. And God calls us to go to people regardless of political differences, regardless of uh, sexual differences, regardless of generational differences, regardless of racial differences, regardless of religious differences. He calls us to go to them in love, to treat them in love as our neighbors. And through that love, coming out of the abundance of God's love shed on us, they may come to know the love of Jesus Christ, but they've got to choose for themselves. And we have to give them space to choose. You know what? What a great way just to end this by having communion. We've done this all month. And um, I just want to encourage you, either now or, or after our service is over, after the announcements a little bit later, um, take some time just to have communion together in your house. And maybe in your church, your house church that you're having. But... Um, Boy, because of the good news of Jesus Christ, because he is the atoning sacrifice, he said, this bread is hopefully going to remember you of my broken body. Take this bread and remember what I went through on that atoning sacrifice. And then, take this cup. Take this cup and realize this is the new covenant, the new agreement. It's that mystery of which I am the mystery, Jesus Christ, who has covered over all the obstacles that would remove you from God himself. And now God says, come to me and receive my love and take my love to the world. Remember his new covenant with you as you take this. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Jesus, oh, thank you so much. Spirit, thank you. God, you planned this. You orchestrated this. You wanted us to be brought back to you. Jesus, you carried it out. You, you were that perfect, sinless being who was sacrificed. And Lord, your sacrifice gives us life eternal. And Spirit, you empower us. You lead us to those good works to do. You give us the thoughts and the words to say. You give us love. Thank you, God. Ah, help us, Lord, to reach out to people who are not like us. We love you. Amen. What a great message. Thanks so much for watching with us today. Before you leave, I just have a few announcements. First, next week we're going to be launching our brand new series called Under the Radar. This is all about exploring biblical characters that maybe you and I haven't really ever heard of before. Here's a sneak peek.
stories of each of these characters to see how they fit into God's grand story and what God can teach us through his interactions with each of these characters. I hope that you'll join us next Sunday. Amy, what are you doing out here? Well, I wanted to come to the Building Zone because we're announcing VBS Building Zone July 6th through the 10th. Woo! And it's all about building character like Jesus. That's so exciting, but how are we gonna do that if we can't be in our building? That's a great question, Andrea. So here's the deal. Once you register, you're gonna get a box with everything that you need in order to have VBS from the comfort of your home. And then every day, we're gonna release an email with the video links. So if you haven't registered yet, go to southfellowship.org slash VBS and register today. And it's a great opportunity to invite a neighbor or a cousin to join you. And we can't wait for you to join our crew. Thanks again for watching today. And if you'd like to give, you can go to southfellowship.org slash give. Also, if you're joining us live this morning, you can join us after for a Zoom session where we'll talk about the sermon together and just have great conversations. So we hope you join us. And finally, if something in the sermon or the series has really resonated with you, we invite you to share that with your friends on social media or subscribe to our YouTube channel. So thanks again and have, have a, a great, great week. week.